0: about 10 miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about eight miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's zionpb where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website, which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. During this holiday season of the year, our minds are often drawn out to the birth of Christ in Bethlehem. In Luke's gospel, we read that an angel appeared to some shepherds and declared his birth, and this was the statement the angel made. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Notice what the angel is saying. Jesus Christ was born in the perfect place at the perfect time, and he was the perfect man. He was the perfect Savior. Jesus came into this world not to make salvation possible, not to come close to completing the task, but he came into this world to make salvation a certainty for his people. Join us today as we look at the story of the birth of Christ and we see the great truths that this was not some happenstance, but it was the purpose of God from before the foundation of the world. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. Over in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And we're going to begin reading in verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into, into Judea. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. This morning I want to take our primary thoughts from verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And I want us to think about this this morning. I want to talk about this morning about the perfect place, the perfect time, and the perfect man. Because that's what we have here in this verse. The perfect place, the perfect time, and the perfect man. Notice the angel said, Unto you is born in the city of David. In the city of David. Now, It was clearly the perfect place. I mean, think about it. It was the city of David. It was the royal city. The Messiah was to be of the lineage of David. That's clear throughout the Old Testament. All the prophecies. You know, this is the place where David had been born. This is the place where David was anointed to be king. This is the place from which David grew And ultimately ascended the throne in Jerusalem. We're told back over in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6 as a clear prophecy of the coming Messiah is given to us by Isaiah. He says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. All these things could be preached on for an hour each. But notice all those superlative uh, titles that he he bears. And notice in verse 7, Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice from henceforth even forever. And I love the next verse. It doesn't say... With all the help man can give him, he'll get this done. No, it says the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. God has this plan. God has this purpose. And it does not involve the help of men. Praise God for that. But notice here, the point is this. He is to be seated upon the throne of his father David. I submit to you this morning that Jesus Christ is currently ruling and reigning upon the throne of his father David today. And when he came here as a babe, he was born in the city of David. That's what the angel said, unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior. That's where he was to be born. You know, it was the perfect place because it was the city of David. Notice it was also the perfect place because of the name, Bethlehem. It's the Hebrew word that means house of bread, house of bread. That's the place of nourishment. It's a place of nourishment. It makes sense that the bread of life would be born in the place that's called the house of bread. Back over in the book of Micah, we won't turn there, but Micah, you know, in Micah we're told that it's not just any Bethlehem. There were two or three Bethlehems in existence in Micah's day. There was one up way up north towards Nazareth. But Micah specifies in chapter 5 and verse 2, thou Bethlehem Ephrata." Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come he, shall he come forth unto me that shall be the ruler in Israel whose goings forth have been from old, from of everlasting. We're going to come back to that in a minute, but notice what he's pointing out. He's saying it's in Bethlehem, Ephrata. And be- that particular Bethlehem was the city of David, which was down near Jerusalem. It's about 90 miles, 75 to 90 miles or so from Nazareth. That word Ephrata means place of fruitfulness. Now, it also makes sense that the, the fruit of all fruit, the Lord Jesus Christ, should be born in the place that's called the place of fruitfulness, right? But you see, all those things aside, God said this was the exact place where Jesus Christ should be born. This is where the Messiah should be. See, that's why it was the perfect place. All these other things are important. I think, it's, I think there's... You know, it's, it's interesting to note, it's the house of bread and it's the city of David. But this is what God said and, and this is the most important fact of all. You see, all the lines of Old Testament prophecy converged on a forgotten stable outside a little country inn in the little village of Bethlehem. That ever-narrowing stream of prophecy culminated in what I just quoted to you from Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. That it would be Bethlehem Ephratah. That's the place where the Messiah would be born. It says, out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel. Whose goings forth have been from of old and to make it clear from everlasting. See, he didn't just come on the scene and come into existence. 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. We're told back in Luke chapter 1 that the angel came upon her, uh, came to her rather. You remember last week we talked about this. He told her in chapter 1 of Luke in verse 28, Hail thou that art highly favored. Uh, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And he goes on to tell her what's happening. He says, Behold, In verse 31, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. The Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Of course, he's quoting Old Testament prophecy there. And then he tells her what's going to happen. He says the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Notice something that he didn't say. He didn't say that holy thing that shall be born of thee shall become the Son of God. You know why he didn't say that that holy thing shall become the Son of God? because that holy thing already was the Son of God. He would be called the Son of God because he was the Son of God, you see. We don't believe in some kind of beginning to the the sonship of Christ. He was the eternal Son of God. The Word, see, in the beginning was the Word. He was that Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And Jesus Christ, we're told, is the same yesterday and today and forever. He was, if he ever was the Son of God, he always was the Son of God. See, this was the exact place where God said the Messiah should be born. Now, I want you to notice something, though. We, we take it for granted, I think, sometimes. But, but notice as we go back to our text in chapter 2 of Luke that Mary was in the wrong place. She wasn't where she was supposed to be if indeed the Christ child was to be born in Bethlehem. We're told that in verse 4, Joseph lived in Galilee in the city of Nazareth. He didn't live in Bethlehem. He wasn't down there in Bethlehem. Mary was in the wrong place. But God, as He does, overruled the circumstances to get her to Bethlehem. (laughs) We don't believe in the absolute predestination of all things. Don't let anybody ever think that. But we absolutely believe in the providence of God. God is able providentially to get things done without having to resort to his predestinating power. You know, predestination makes God the cause of it. In providence, God overrules circumstances that he might not have necessarily started, but that he ultimately over superintends in order to get his will done. Now, I want you to notice something, okay? Mary was in the wrong place, yes. But if we go back further in history, there there were a lot of people out of place. There were a lot of people in the wrong place if indeed the Christ child was to be born in Bethlehem. But again, God is able to superintend the circumstances to fulfill His prophetic pronouncements. And this was so important that God moved nations to get them to Bethlehem. You see, God first had to get Abraham out of Ur. Abraham wasn't even in the land of promise. But God got him out of Ur. Then He had to get Moses and the Israelites out of Egypt. And then he had to get the Jews out of Babylon. We're told in the book of Haggai that God would shake all nations. I like a God like that. I like serving a God like that because sometimes the nations, even the nation I live in, shakes me. But I serve a God that can shake nations. We're told in the book of Haggai, uh, when those Jews had gotten kind of distracted, they weren't building the temple like they were supposed to. They were supposed to be rebuilding the temple. They got distracted into their own things. But he said, listen, you get back to work on that temple. And some of the old men there that knew about the first temple, when they saw the second temple's foundations, they they got to crying and weeping about it because they said, oh, woe is me, the good old days, if we could just go back to the days of Solomon's temple, you know. It was so much more glorious. It was so much more beautiful. It was bigger. He said, I'm going to tell you something. The glory of this building is going to be greater than the glory of Solomon's temple ever dreamed of being. And it wasn't because Herod added on to it. Herod the Great in the times before Christ. It wasn't because, and he did, he added on to it. He added ports. He added all kinds of things that were made it bigger and more beautiful. But that wasn't why it was more glorious. You know why it was more glorious? Because there came a day after Bethlehem. In fact, the first time was a few days after Bethlehem. When Christ himself graced the doors of that temple, he crossed the threshold of that temple. And I want to tell you, beloved, I'm thankful for this big, beautiful building we've got here. I'm so thankful the Lord blessed us to be able to build it. I was thankful for the old building over there. And it was a nice building compared to some. But if you're living, I don't care if you're living and worshiping in a hut, in a river, on a river, in Africa, Malawi, somewhere in the South Pacific, it doesn't matter if the Lord's presence graces your building. Praise God is more glorious than any temple of Solomon ever dreamed of be. You see, but God... God got Abraham out of Ur, he got Moses out of Egypt, he got the Jews out of Babylon, he got the Romans out of civil war and all kinds of conflicts that went on in the couple of hundred years leading up to the birth of Christ to where the circumstances were just right. Just right. On that starry night when Joseph and Mary made that trek down from Nazareth to that little stable in Bethlehem. It was just right, you see. It was the perfect place. And it was the perfect time. Remember what we said, unto you is born this day. There's a reason it was that day. Because we're told in Galatians chapter 4, and verse 4, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. Notice what he said. He didn't say when they flipped a coin in heaven and decided, yeah, we'll go now. No. It was the fullness of the time. It was the exact right day it was the perfect time we're told back in luke chapter 2 and verse 6 it was it says the days were accomplished that she should be delivered she didn't just happen to deliver the days were accomplished that she should be delivered they were fulfilled it was not my happenstance it was the fullness of the time and that word fullness back over there in galatians means that which is put in to fill up or or a piece that fills up it's kind of like a puzzle piece right <laughs> think about it you got a puzzle you're putting together and there's an empty space. Well, the fullness of that puzzle is when that final piece is put into place. The fullness of times was when that final piece of the advent of the Lord Jesus Christ was put into place. Over in Acts chapter 4. Turn with me over there just for a moment. And listen to this. Acts chapter 4 and verse 26. You know, many people in the world today believe that that Christ was just... Jesus was just a great prophet, and things just worked out by happenstance. But listen to this. The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed. Now listen to this. List of great powers, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. That is an illustrious crowd. That's that's an intimidating sight if you look up and you see Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and the people of Israel. It says the kings of the earth, the rulers were gathered together. That would intimidate me. So why were they there? For to do Whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determine before to be done. Now remember, this isn't some kind of absolute predestination verse. This This is a verse pointing us to the overruling, sovereign power of God. They thought they were there to destroy him. In fact, God was there to destroy them. He was to break their power. The heathen rage. The people imagine the vain thing. You know what God does? He laughs. (laughs) The Lord will have them in derision. (laughs) You know, that's the kind of God that that I serve. That's the kind of God we can serve. All things were in place. The stage was set. All the pieces on the board like a woman with child, the labor pains upon her, he was ready to deliver. And literally, that's what happened here to Mary. And you see, not only was it the perfect time and the perfect place, but he was the perfect man. Now, I know he was a baby. I know he was born as a baby, but that's what made him the perfect man. You see, there was a problem. And that problem is... Shown to us in sort of a figurative way over in Revelation chapter 5. There was a problem on earth in that day. And here's the problem. Verse 1 of Revelation 5. I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. Now, I don't have time to get into what this book is. I'm not even sure I have a complete grasp on what it is. But I know this. It's held by God on his throne. This is a vision of the throne room of God that was granted to John the Revelator as he was outcast there on the Isle of Patmos. And this book, I believe, is the uh, the scroll, if you will, of the redemptive history of mankind. I, you know, there's a lot to the book of Revelation I don't know the answer to, but I know this book is important. And here's what else I know about the book There's no man worthy or able to take it out of the hand of God. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? You see, that's a question asked today, is it not? Who has the power uh, to resist God? Who has the power to claim salvation? Who has the power to bring salvation unto himself today? And no man in heaven nor in earth. Neither under the earth was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. That pretty much covers it all, doesn't it? No man in heaven, no one who's died and gone to heaven. There's no man there. No man in earth, nobody still living here. No man under the earth, no man who has died and gone to hell. Nobody who's been buried, perhaps, that's talking about. But in any event, it's no man, no man is able to open the book, and much less, they can't even look upon it. (laughs) They can't even look upon it. See, it's pretty simple, really. There was a problem. Man didn't have what it took. And so man needed someone who did have what it took. And Jesus was that man. And let me rephrase that. Jesus is that man. He is that man. Luke chapter 2 and verse 11. Remember what he said? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Not a pretender. Not somebody who's going to give it his best shot. Not somebody who is going to try as hard as he can if you'll let him. He is a Savior. You know what a Savior does? He saves. (laughs) That's what a Savior does. You know, otherwise I'm a good trier. (laughs) I made a good effort, but it didn't say that's what Jesus is. He's not trying to save. He didn't make man savable. He is a Savior. Matthew 1.21, He shall save His people from their sins. Isn't that glorious? We don't serve uh, uh, someone who is trying to be your Savior. We serve one who is a risen, successful Savior. He is a successful Savior. He was the perfect man. See, all the stuff we had was filthy rags. Isaiah 64, 6 says, all of our righteousnesses, that is everything we might try to do, anything that we might try to offer to God in the way of something that would be a a substitute for our sins, that would be an atonement for our sins, is nothing but filthy rags. We needed a righteous man to be our representative. You know what Hebrews tells us over in the seventh chapter? In Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 26, he says, For such an high priest became us. See, we have that successful Savior. We have that perfect man. We have such a one. For such a high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. That's our Savior. That's this perfect man. He says, He needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins, and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. Isn't that something? All of the sacrifices of the Old Testament, all the ceremonial law was fulfilled in Christ. You know, all that ceremonial law did was point us to the need for a perfect sacrifice. All the sacrifices... You know, there was a lot of hoops they had to jump through. There were a lot of sacrifices they had to make every day. And once a year, the high priest had to go into the Holy of Holies on that Day of Atonement to make a sacrifice. And no, the sacrifice did not roll the sins forward a year. Don't let anybody tell you that. It didn't touch a sin. The sacrifice never did one thing for sin except remind the people that they were sinners. See, it says in, that sac- in those sacrifices was a remembrance of sin made because they needed to be reminded that they were sinners and they needed a perfect sacrifice. Oh, but when the perfect sacrifice came, the time of reformation came, we're told in the book of Hebrews, the time of setting up of a new covenant, setting up of a new way of worship and praise God, the perfect man did that. The perfect man. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You know, I don't know what his childhood was like. I don't know if he got the colic as a baby. I don't know if he cut himself sometime with some of the tools in Joseph's uh, carpentry shop there. I I don't know if he got the stomach virus. I don't know if he got sick. I don't know, but we don't need to know. We're not told it, so we don't need to know. But what I do know is this. In this same chapter 2 of Luke, there was a point where he was about 12 years old. and You know the story about how they lost him. They left. They'd been to Jerusalem. Joseph and Mary had been to Jerusalem. And they had, when they left, they thought he was with some other family and they lost him. And they went back and found him. And he was in the temple sitting in the midst of the doctors, hearing them and asking them questions and astonishing them at his wisdom. And I know this, at that point he knew who he was. Because when they came to him and basically fussed at him for causing them to worry, he said to them in verse 49, How is it that you sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? I love children. I love the children here in this church. They're sweet. They're precious. My heart breaks when I hear about a child being uh, abused, okay? But I want to tell you something, and my heart breaks for my children and for my grandchild now to think about, I want them to stay innocent. I don't want them to have to worry about things and life in general, but I, my heart breaks when I read this about the Lord Jesus Christ that at age 12, he already knew that the cross was coming. He already knew what he was here for. He knew that he didn't come down here to play like every other child. He didn't come down here to be carefree like every other child. He didn't come down here to marry and to have a family like every other child. He came down here to bear the sins of his family, his people, to Calvary. He knew that at age 12. It breaks my heart and it also thrills my soul. Thrills my soul. Matthew 1 and 21. Remember that clear statement of what Jesus came here to do. He shall save his people from their sins. Elder Michael Goins posted this recently on Facebook. He said, the Lord Jesus was not a potential, but an actual Savior. The cross made salvation a reality, not a possibility. Isn't that that great? See, this is the primary difference between Primitive Baptists and most other kinds of denominations. We believe that he actually did what he set out to do. We believe he accomplished the task that he was sent here to do. And this is the message of the birth of Christ. And it's not just that he was born, but that he was born a Savior. He was the perfect man, his perfect sinless body and blood. The perfect man came to the earth to save his imperfect people from their sins. And so, as we think about that night there in Bethlehem, maybe our minds ought to be drawn out all the way back to the, the beginning of time. Back in the Garden of Eden, when Adam first partake of that fruit and he began to realize that he was naked. He, Gained knowledge that he wasn't supposed to have and sin came into this world and death came by sin. Even on that most awful day of creation, on that awful day, God looked at that serpent. And in the presence of Adam and Eve, he says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman. And between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. You know, Adam lived to be 940 years. I know that this is speculation, and and I'm not trying to preach this as doctrine, but but I like to think about these Bible characters as real people like you and I because they were. And I know Adam as he saw all the wickedness that came. You know, the first two sons that were born to them, one murdered the other. They lost both of them on that day. And he struggled for those centuries living here, seeing the deaths and the dying and the, and the anger and the sin that kept becoming rampant. Can't you just see Adam sometimes, sometimes as he's shedding tears of grief over what he had done and brought upon this world, looking to Eve and saying, Eve, you remember what he said? He said, there's going to be some, someone of your seed that's going to bruise that serpent's head. Someone of your seed that's going to set it right. There came a precise moment in history, that perfect night, that perfect time, in that perfect place, where God the Father said, It's time. <laughs> it's time. All the prophecies have been fulfilled, and we're about to fill the rest of them here. And that promise I made to Adam is ready to be kept. It's ready to be kept. Now, I know in the mind and purpose of God, it was. As if it had already been done. I get that. But it had to be fulfilled. He had to come and do this or else it would never, you know, all the predestination, all the election in the world wouldn't have done any good if Christ hadn't come and died. You see. And when God said it's time, Jesus Christ, his son, stepped out of the portals of glory, laid aside his glory, and descended down that starry staircase to the virgin's womb. And entered our world wrapped up in rags, swaddling clothes, and was laid down to sleep in a feed trough in a forgotten stable in Bethlehem. And thus God fulfilled his promise on the perfect night in the perfect place by sending the perfect man to accomplish a perfect salvation. And that day, as she swaddled him, and as she laid him there, I don't know what all happened, but I know this. The long, painful walk to Calvary began. I love the manger. I love the stable. It's appropriate to think about it, and even this time of the year, even though we don't know when Jesus was born, but it's appropriate to think about it. But don't you ever think about the the manger and the stable and the star without also seeing behind it a vision of the cross. Because you see the cross, every step that baby took when he first began to walk, every step that 12-year-old Jesus took, every step 30-year-old Jesus when he began his ministry, every step he took was a step toward Calvary. And that's where he would completely save his people from their sins. And that's the Savior we worship today. The Savior who got it done. Praise God for the perfect salvation we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com.